Hey readers, be sure to watch this episode on YouTube for a special after show discussion where we share what we really thought about Shoe Dog. You might agree with us, you might disagree. Head over to YouTube to check it out. And now on to the show. Shoes, shoes, shoes. A young runner consumed by his passion to create an athletic shoe worn by the winners takes us on a journey of how he created an iconic brand that is today a part of culture and fashion. The author, Phil Knight, the book, Shoe Dog. And you're listening to Let Society Let's Get Lit. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. After our brief hiatus, there's a lot going on. Thank you for your support. A special shout out to Kylie Reed, who reached out to us while we were on break and helped us out. Thank you so much. And we're back. Thank you, Kylie. (laughs) And she's got a new book coming out at the end of the year, the beginning of next year called Come and Get It. All right. Looking mm -hmm. forward to that. Well, you know, Kari, as I'm thinking about this book, I checked in with some friends and asked about their first pair of uh, sneakers. Well, first of all, are are Nike specifically or sneakers in general? Sneakers. Sneakers. Mm. I asked them about their first pair of sneakers (laughs) and a few came up. They went way back and they were like pro wings, Jordash. But these came with some really ugly stories. Like the jeans? Listen, they came with (laughs) ugly stories. So they went all the way back to elementary school. I'm not getting into that. (laughs) (laughs) So I raised the age and I got responses like, K-Swiss, which happened to be the uh, cheapest at the time, they said. And then Reebok, because they were looking for um, walking shoes. And that was from the 40 and up club. And then from (laughs) folks in their (laughs) mid-20s to 30s, they were like Nikes. Because it was on TV, it was fly, it was popular. Mm -hmm. And then I I got another um, person that said, I mean, they ain't never bought a pair of uh, sneakers in their life. So... I get that. I grew up not um, appreciating them. I couldn't tell you the first pair of sneakers I had because I didn't care for them. So what were you wearing? I, I don't know. Oh, flats. I wore flats. Okay. I love to wear flats. Alexis was the girl that came to school in business casual in, in middle school. <laughs> you all know that no. one. You knew that they was going to be president. <laughs> and they started every sentence with actually... And that's my, ooh, actually. Anyway, (laughs) do you remember your first pair of sneakers as an adult? Or maybe your first pair of running shoes? And then what shoe brand was it? I remember really wanting some K-Swiss and you said they were cheap. I remember my parents wouldn't get them for me. I started working at Popeye's and so I bought some K-Swiss. I also remember something about BK Nights when I was little. Something about shoes that lit up. Right? I think they lit up. Mm, I don't know. But I really wanted my K-Swiss with my tennis skirts to school. I really right? <laughs> We all looking K-Swiss. like we stepped off the uh, pavement at Wimbledon <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> that was the look. 
K-Swiss, K- <laughs> when I was in high school, yeah. they were like, those were the shoes to have. I couldn't afford, afford them, but those were the shoes to have. All the cute girls had the K-Swiss, and I wanted to be a part of that club. Yeah, but I didn't like them like that. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I was really into it. And then... um. Yeah, that's actually that is emblazoned in my brain. That is a root memory. But other than that, now I will tell you during uh, COVID, I became a sneakerhead. Did yeah. you know this? Yeah, I did know that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what got me was it's really hard to get shoes on the sneakers app notoriously. But um, Virgil released um, some women's shoes that men were buying, too, um, from his off-white label, of course, in collaboration with Nike. And I got them. They cost me maybe two hundred dollars, and I sold them for about a thousand. And I said, <laughs> and and I mean in like four days. I wanted the shoes, but my conscience wouldn't let Not me keep. Really. I did Not want really. them, but when my when I found out I could make a profit of six hundred dollars <laughs> in five days, my conscience said, "Girl, you got shoes." <laughs> so I sold them on Goat, which is mm-hmm. the app a lot of um, sneakerheads know. And I was like, "Oh, this is easy. I'm gonna be." rolling in the dough. I'm going to make millions. So I started buying Jordans. Apparently, Uh I don't know what I'm doing. I also, to my everlasting shame, bought some Yeezys no one wanted. I guess people, I never wore Yeezys so I thought folks was just loving Yeezy. And I was like, "Mm, he ain't my thing no more, but I'll definitely profit from his name. Nope. Somebody told me them shoes look like catfish. So I sold sold those at a loss. And then I just like emptied my inventory to just a few pair that I love. Uh, Yeah. And that's my life as a sneakerhead. But anyway. mm -hmm. So, I mean, (laughs) do you think you'll look for opportunities to uh, buy and sell again? I'm not good at it. I would have to respect (laughs) the craft and get educated. Uh, (laughs) So you had one win. Yes. uh, You thought you could do it. And then it turns out that's not the win you, you needed more. Everything you just said. Okay, I see that. I see that. So I have an upcoming anniversary event and their theme includes wearing your favorite um, sneakers. I don't have a favorite pair of sneakers. So I was thinking, what kind of sneakers would I get? I'm sure there's a quiz out out there like the sneakers for you based on your personality. I could see okay. you in some. Oh, I'm going to think about this, but I could see you in like some Sacconis or some New Balances because you yeah. would try to not be obviously cool. You want to be you want to look like an insider <laughs> at all times. So you would wear some like. I don't know, some new balances from a collaboration don't nobody know about. And you would be like, oh, these? Yeah, this is the new Jack Moose uh, NBs 400. Well, I do want something fun, um, maybe even colorful, because I do mm-hmm. like a lot of color in my life. So I don't I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to look for a quiz. But the idea of sneakers, it brings me to my theme of the week. As you know, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss and Inspired by the book that we're reading and the theme chosen for this week. What is the origin of sneakers? Oh, for sneaking. (laughs) Ah, yes, yes, yes. So based on an article 
from the medium.com called why are shoes called sneakers? And according to the article, um, did you say from the medium.com? Yeah. You mean from medium? <laughs> Alexis has officially ma'am, what? Ma'am, this is what I do. Have you just now picked it up? It's the medium, okay? I am a woman of a certain age. I say the. I was about to say, so we are talking about the same site. You got me Googling the medium. I'm scared. Ah, ah, turn it off. Oh my goodness. So wait, just so our listeners understand, you are referring to the social platform medium. You are calling it the medium. And you are not giving credit to the actual author. Okay, got it. <laughs> I love this so much. Medium.com. Yeah. Okay. Akin to the Facebook. Not to be confused with the Instagram. Absolutely. The okay. Yeah. Or the TikToks. <laughs> or the TikToks. Okay? okay. This is what we do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway. According to this article, there was a book titled Female Life in Prison, and that was from 1862. And it's it's Female Life in Prison by a Prison Matron. And the first volume of the book, I think it's a two volume book, um, the author, um, Frederick Robinson, he wrote about prison life for females in England in the 19th century. And he uses the word sneaks to refer to the shoes the guards used in the prison. Um, He said, the night officer is generally accustomed to wear a species of Indian rubber shoes or galoshes. These are termed sneaks by the women. This was um, the first reference to sneaks as a type of shoe. The word sneak, however, has been around since the 16th century, and it means what it means uh, today. But by 1874, a man named James Greenwood wrote the book In Strange Company. And in his book, he referred um, to a sneak as a shoe with a canvas top and an Indian rubber sole. And by the turn of the century, the word sneaker was commonly being used in the U.S. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, You mean Indian like from India or Native American rubber sole? Did I say Indian or India? You said Indian it's India, sole. India rubber. Oh, OK. That makes sense. OK. OK. So it says that um, sneakers started off as a sand shoe and that was by a, a rubber company, a Liverpool rubber company in the 1830s. And it had canvas uppers and rubber bottoms. And they eventually nicknamed them um, Pimsoll shoes in the 1800s. And so this Pimsoll was named Uh, It's like it's a part of a ship. It was named because of a line on a ship. It indicates the safe legal load to be carried on a ship. And there's a band that joins the upper of the sole and it resembles that line. So it was called the Pimsoul Shoes. And the UK, what do they call them, Kari? Do you know? I feel like I do. Hmm. Tell me, I can't, it does not. Trainers. Oh, trainers, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Okay, mm-hmm. well, whatever. So in the U.S., the sneaker gained popularity with Keds. And Keds were manufactured by U.S. rubber. And that was in 1917. 
Originally, Keds were supposed to be named Peds, but that was already trademarked. I like Keds better. I like Keds better, too. (laughs) And Keds and Converse dominated the sneaker market in the early 1900s. And um, the term sneaker was coined in 1917 by, it says, Agent Henry Nelson McKinney. And it described, of course, how quiet the shoes were. Mm And so the other researchers that said it had an earlier start in the U.S. at 1887, the use of the word sneakers was first used in the Boston Journal of Education. And it was from a statement that said it is only the harassed schoolmaster who can fully appreciate the pertinency of the name boys give to tennis shoes sneakers Mm -hmm. ads for tennis shoes were even being referred to as sneakers in 1889. And this is before kids dominated the market. So there you have it. The origin of sneakers. It's really interesting because when you look at these um, strong original brands, Keds, Converse, they're still around, but they're not Mm -hmm. Nikes and they're not Adidas. Right. Very different. Mm -hmm. They're not on that level. Right. So why don't we take a quick break before we jump into the author and context? All right. Sounds good. Can you share about the author and context for this book? Yeah, I can. Um, first, I want to ask you, do you call them Nikes or Nikes? Hmm. I've, I've gone between both. Okay, because I always thought Nikes was very East Coast, very New York. But you just said it this morning. So I don't know. Oh, that's so I like Nikes. I'm going to mm-hmm. start saying Nikes. Okay. <laughs> um, now. I don't have context because this is a um, memoir. memoir. So usually for mm-hmm. memoirs, we like to keep it on the playground and save all the author background information uh, for the book, which we're going to detail in full. Uh, what else did you ask for? <laughs> That's it. Oh, author information, it. context. This is the way we do it. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. We're going to jump right in. And okay. we're going to hear a brief <laughs> synopsis without spoilers. Before I deep dive, okay? No problem. I'm not prepared for that either, but I'll say this. <laughs> Shoe Dog is the story of the man behind one of the greatest sportswear brands of all time. It details what he regrets, what he wishes he could do again, and all the lessons he learned along the way. Alexis, what do you think? What's the question? It's been a while, y'all. Listen, Alexis. What? <laughs> so wait, I, wait, I, it's gonna come to me. Oh, we both older. I should check the medium. Maybe they have an article about our show and what goes here. Um, call back. Um, so Alexis, who do you think would enjoy reading Shoe Dog? <laughs> this is a very serious literary show to all the potential sponsors listening. Listen, if you enjoy uh, business origin stories, you'll really enjoy this book. Um, Phil highlights um, his time, the tenacity that he had Mm, to push through and make his dream come through. So if you like that kind of story, you would definitely enjoy this. um, This book, Uh, Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book or excuse me, 
Why did you choose this book? Yeah, I chose it because this is on a lot of lists of books that business owners must read, not should read, must read. Um, it's also um, it's also named when people talk about great memoirs of our times. Mm. And so I thought, yeah, I wear Nikes. Let me read Shoe Dog. And here we are. <laughs> Okay. Well, are you ready to take our spoiler-filled deep dive into Shoe Dog? Yeah, I am. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. Part one, Oregon Trail. So, have you ever played the Oregon Trail? <laughs> the game, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so, years old. <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know, uh, Oregon Trail is like this, what, two-bit, eight-bit game <laughs> where you are trying to, as a pioneer in America, make your way to the West without dying of dysentery. Um, so uh, that is what Oregon really is like, still within a certain generation known for. Well, Phil Knight, who uh, went by the nickname Buck, grew up in Oregon. That was his home. And it was full of all of this historical beauty, but had no current claim to fame. It was best known for an old video game. Um, he's living, when we meet him, in his parents' home. He has his master's from Stanford. He went to a, a University of Oregon, got his master's at Stanford, and is back in his parents' house. And he's like, he's also an accomplished soldier, which I forgot. Um, and he's mm -hmm. like, what do I want to do with my life? So, hey, uh, grand millennials still living with your parents, waiting for them to pass on to paradise so you can inherit the house. <laughs> Don't feel bad. This happened exactly. even in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Actually, it wasn't yet the 60s. Uh, the world was on the cusp of all the rebellion and freedoms that would come with the decade. But we're still like in the late, late 50s, I think, maybe 60, 61. But anyway, he goes out for a run and running was a mainstay in Phil's life, which I love. He was very Beyonce in that way. And really, Phil Knight is the Beyonce in his world. You'll see mm -hmm. what I mean um, later on. So he goes out for a run and he's thinking about his life. All of these existential questions are coming to him. And uh, the one that stays top of mind is who do I want to be? What do I want to be? I love this question because I think it's something I think it's something we should ask ourselves periodically. Am I who I want to be? Not where I want to be. Did I get the promotion I wanted? Things like that. All of that must fit into who we want to be. And so he's asking himself this, this question and a word comes to mind and sticks with him. And he knows that is his purpose in life. Do you remember what it is, Alexis? No. Girl is play. Play. <laughs> life must be play. Mm. So um, the start of his great adventure begins here. He wants to go on this world tour and within the tour, pitch the idea to a Japanese company that they need to be the next shoe mega. I don't know, whatever company. Well, at the time, it would have been Adidas. So the next the next big shoe company. Yeah, you got these two Sneaker German brothers, brothers, Adidas and Puma. They hate each other and they're dumb. Uh, especially Adidas is dominating the sportswear uh, industry. So mm -hmm. in school, I believe when he was getting his master's at Stanford, Knight 
uh, wrote a paper that no one cared about, but his teacher gave him an A on. Um, it was more of a right. presentation, his TED talk, if you will. And it was about how uh, Japanese companies, because of their resources and their price margins, were able to dominate the orological industry, I believe, with watches. And they could do the same with shoes. This is very interesting. He's not making a shoe. He doesn't have a product. He only has an idea that, right. and it's a very broad, nonsensical idea that because Japan dominated in one one area industry, they could definitely do it with shoes. This idea, although he mm -hmm. did get an A on it, seems to be based on basically nothing. <laughs> this man, although he does not realize it, is a great salesman from the beginning because he believes in himself strongly. And he strikes me as someone mm -hmm. who you would definitely give an A plus to to make them go away because you don't want them coming back and trying to convince <laughs> you privately. That his thesis is correct. Why they should get no? Yeah. You want him mm -hmm, gone forever. Mm -hmm. He's fanatical. <laughs> so anyway, he goes to the first boss of his life, his father, and he needs money. He'll need a lot of money. His dad, for, excuse me, from his father. Um, another thing this book brings to mind is the access that privilege gives you to the rest of the world. Yes, early on it reminded me. Yeah, um, because we all have ideas. Some of us also have intelligence. I shouldn't say us, y'all. Some of y'all are smart people, <laughs> but you may not have the money to see your dreams through, to fail, to fail again, and then to eventually find success. All of that takes a lot of money. And Phil Knight's father was in a position to give his son financial support. And so to Phil's surprise, he got that support from his father. His father had always wanted to travel the world. Um, and he would love to talk to his friends about how his son was doing what he always wanted to do. Right. And so he gave him the money. His family, his, the rest of uh, the members of his family pretty much said nothing. But in his mother's silence, he saw some pride. Like she didn't have to say anything because she wanted to just support her son a bit silently. It was the mm -hmm. 50s, 60s. So anyway, um, a friend from school joins him and they're off on their adventure. September 7th, 1962, the adventure begins. They start with Hawaii and they travel in what is actually probably the best way to travel even today. Long term. That is the cheapest way to see the world. Would you agree, Alexis? I do. I do agree. Long term is it. Short-term trips, one to two weeks, are expensive. You don't really get to see the culture. You don't get to feel an area, get it in your bones. Um, so what he did when he arrived in Hawaii was he got a job and a crappy apartment. Very and, smart. And also, he started with a one-way ticket. Yes, right. Yeah, he got a one-way ticket to anywhere in the world. Is that right? I know he got a one-way ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> oh, okay, because I do remember him buying at some point in his story I take it to anywhere in the world. But anyway, um, okay. which used to be a thing. This is before people were hopping on planes all the time just to go down the street like Alexis. <laughs> boo, boo, gas emissions, fuel costs, shame on you, the earth. Okay, so he sells encyclopedias. He's too shy to sell. Really, as the reader, you realize he just don't want to sell encyclopedias. He don't no. love encyclopedias. But in Phil's mind, he's not a good salesman and his shyness is crippling. And all of this reminds him of when he was grieving for two weeks in his youth. Do you remember why, Alexis? Oh, because he couldn't. This is before he became a runner, right? Exactly. Yeah. What made uh, him become he, a runner? Oh, he 
he broke something. Girl, nah, he got cut from the baseball team. He wasn't good at it. (laughs) But he don't frame it that way. He frames it as this experience reminded me that some people will not be there for you when you need the most. (laughs) I said, Phil, you ain't good at baseball. They had to keep you. Come on. <laughs> I do remember that pickup towards the end where he <laughs> fell at baseball. He closed the blinds, locked his door, and stayed in bed for two weeks <laughs> so his mother surprised. told him enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in that moment, he decided, I'm not made for rejection. Phil, <laughs> who's made for rejection? <laughs> None of us. Absolutely but none I of like us. But I like this level of delusion. I really do. So anyway... His friend that remember he came to Hawaii with a friend. His friend drops him to date a teenager. It was a different time. Elvis. Um, (laughs) This is just the first destination in a long list. So his friend's already out. And Phil says he completely understands because the teenager was beautiful. (sighs) Anyway, um, so uh, he continues his tour solo meeting in a Japanese shoe store. With his children, with the children of his dad's enemies is where we find him next. Let me explain. There was a war. You may have heard of it. Um, People still spoke disparagingly about Japan as a country and about its people. Now, Phil is standing in a room with Japanese men who are the sons of men who fought against. Basically, he sees it as his father. And his friend's fathers. But in that room, there's an equalizer. They are all businessmen. So they have a meeting. Phil pitches his idea of what they should do. I cannot stress this enough. He has no product. He has an idea. And he believes in his idea. And yes, there's some privilege there. This is a man who grew up uh, white in America with access to money. And he believes in his idea. However. That don't mean he wrong. (laughs) So he tells this group of businessmen, this is what y'all should do. Here are the facts to back it up. And I want to represent you. And they said, well, what's the name of your company? What's the name of his company, Alexis? Oh, why am I remembering? No, now this you must remember. Yeah, go ahead. You got it. Blue. (laughs) Remember Blue Dog? So, no, Um, in his room back home, he had a bunch of uh, first place ribbons, blue ribbon (laughs) for his track wins. And so that popped into his mind. And he said, the name of my company is Blue Ribbon Sports. Now, he sees himself as an honest man, but you will find him lying and stealing throughout this book. Throughout the book. (laughs) But Phil doesn't see it that way. He is an honest, honest, hardworking, ethical man. And that's pretty much probably true, actually. But anyway, he tells them that lie and they say, will Blue Ribbon represent us in the United States? And he says, we shall will. Meaning me. (laughs) (laughs) And my nothingness. No, no. Well, us meaning um, the Japanese company with Tiger Sports. Blue Ribbon is nothingness. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So all they want is for him to send $50. Now, me and Alexis know all about this. In order to sell product, you got to have money because you got to have you got to buy the product to sell it. Right. So they need $50 from him and then they'll send him a package of shoes and he shakes their hand. They bow and he's like, thank you very much, gentlemen. And he runs out clicking his heels like it worked. It worked. It worked. (laughs) The meeting was two hours, but it closed successfully. 
And so he um, calls his dad. He's like, send a money order for $50. Strange things are happening. Um, yeah, this that was is, a different time, right? The, all of this is a different time. And I want to talk about that in the verdict, too. Um, anyway, but it does turn out that this company, the Japanese company, already sells shoes in America. And they were already looking to expand their um, their footprint in the market. So Phil's idea was no doubt well thought out and it came at the perfect time. His timing was excellent. So he continues his voyage. <laughs> um, he's lonely at this time. He's isolated from his land and his language. Everything around him becomes inspiration and fodder for more existential questions. Um, he gets sick one day. He says he definitely knew he was dying. That man was sick for one day. y'all. <laughs> one day. Uh, he doesn't die. He hiked the Himalayas, then he traveled to India, Kenya, Cairo, Jerusalem, Istanbul, Rome, Paris, Munich, Berlin, London, Greece, and so much more. He saw children wearing shoes made of cardboard. He became intoxicated by faiths, food, and females. On the latter, he remains ambiguous throughout the book. Even when he talks about his wife, he don't really talk about her. So don't think you're learning anything there. (laughs) (laughs) But the highlight was Greece. And particularly the goddess Athena, Nike, the so-called patron saint of negotiations, stayed in his mind. Eventually, he returned home. The shoes for which his father had sent $50, however, never arrived. Part two, back to basics. He gets a job. He earns $500 per month and he's miserable. It's 1964. Finally, he receives a box from Japan. In the box were 12 pairs of the most beautiful shoes he'd ever seen. He sends a pair to his old college track coach named Bill Bowerman, a shoe fanatic, a man obsessed with how the right shoe improved the athlete in a measurable way. This man was was also probably Mm -hmm. like a mad scientist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was a a really interesting coach um, and how he he helped his runners to run better. He was really focused on improving their um, skill at running and the shoe in which helped them get there. And Mm -hmm. I I loved hearing that portion of it. And I like the way you framed that because he was interested in improving not just the runner, but also the shoe the runner wore. So anyway, um, a part of Phil Knight sees this coach as a father. And that's pretty common with coaches. Um, And he wants to prove himself to Bill Bowerman even more than he wants to prove himself to his own dad. There's an anecdote here. Uh, Just so you know a little bit about Bill. um, There was a truck that used to make a U-turn in front of Bill's house, knocking over Bill's mailbox. Bill would tell the truck driver, hey, you always knock over my mailbox. Please stop. The truck driver was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But continued to do it. So Bill rigged the mailbox with explosives. And the next time the truck driver hit it, half of his truck was gone in the tires. Mm. This is seen as a ha ha. That crazy Bill. He could have killed someone. Anyway. It was mm, a different time. It was a different time. (laughs) Uh, another anecdote. One day, Phil told his coach, Bill Bauer, uh, I'm sorry, Bill Bowerman, I can't run a day. I feel myself catching the flu. And Bill said, who's the coach? And Phil said, you are. And he said, OK, then you're running and you'll be time today. Phil ran and beat his record. 
He was tested and passed. Mm-hmm. He he probably didn't even get the flu. Phil is a little, I don't know. I ain't gonna call him no names, but he was probably like, <laughs> I'm sick. And Bill was <laughs> like, boo. Okay, so anyway, uh, Phil later finds himself sitting around a fireplace with a lawyer and Bill Bowerman, his former coach. They signed a 5149 partnership to sell shoes in America. They are now business partners. What a proud moment. Um, at Knight's obs- as Knight's obsession with his new business grows stronger, his father's patience with him grows weaker. Like, why are you still clowning around with these shoes? That's something I let you do for a time. Now it's time for you to get a job so I can brag to my friends about you. Within earshot, his mother reaches in her purse, takes out $10 and asks her only son if she could buy a pair of his shoes. He'll never forget her wearing Japanese running shoes to wash the dishes. <laughs> that push may have been what his father needed to give him another $1,000 at the time uh, for the next shoe delivery, which arrived right away this time. Also with an assurance from the Japanese company that they were going to make him and his Blue Knight company a distributor. Phil Knight. Blue Ribbon Company. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Blue Ribbon Company, a distributor. <laughs> Phil Knight quits his accounting job. A large order arrives and it arrives in these like crates because shoe boxes would have been too expensive. Um, and I actually remember some shoes used to not come in boxes. Do you remember that? No, I anyway, wasn't buying them. So I sure don't remember. He was wealthy as a child. I remember. <laughs> um, so Phil begins his tour around the states and around his own locale selling shoes to runners and unlike encyclopedia he could sell shoes he was good at it it became basically a mail order business where people would sometimes show up to the house if they had heard of him through a friend it was so good he hired another salesman in california later on he meets an old classmate from stanford and that classmate is also selling shoes from Adidas. I think he poaches him later in the book, but we'll leave mm-hmm. that there for now. Um, then a dreadful letter arrives. Some high school wrestling coach says he just returned from Japan where he met with top executives at the same corporation. They agreed to make him their exclusive American distributor. Wow. The letter ordered ordered Phil Phil to stop selling shoes. Cease and desist. Cease mm. and desist right now. Or pay up immediately. Mm -hmm. Phil's business was only two months old and already he's embroiled in a legal battle. Phil is losing sleep. He wrote to Japan, heard nothing back. He finds out this wrestling coach is a hood celebrity, a former model. (laughs) He feels even smaller in comparison. He's like this all American brute is mm, this is Phil's (laughs) voice to me. Mm, I hate him. So, um, <laughs> that is so random. This is where we find out Phil was dating at the time and lost his girlfriend. That's all we. Sorry, nameless woman. <laughs> you shall remain nameless. His father, still irritated by his shoe business, couldn't stand someone trying to stomp out his son. So he gives Phil money to fly to Japan and get everything in order. And his mom well. drove him to the airport. Mm hmm. He's like, no Japanese company is going to stomp out my boy. So Phil has a meeting where he lets himself be honest, passionate. Then another meeting, this time with the founder of the company. You remind me of myself when I was younger, says the businessman in front of a room of his subordinates. The founder gives Knight a deal. 
Phil Knight will sell shoes on the West Coast. The former model turned wrestling coach must stick to the East Coast. Everyone rose. They all bowed. Knight prepared to fly home after placing an order for $3,500 worth of shoes. Then he meets a girl named Sarah. For two weeks, Sarah lived in um, his parents' home, his, uh, their guest bedroom. As they got to know each other, he imagined her being a member of their family. They began writing each other when she returned to Maryland. But she comes from the upper echelon of society. Mm -hmm. And eventually she had to break up with him because he wasn't sophisticated enough and he's selling shoes. Yeah, I kept thinking he was going to come back to her. Because she gets a nice chunk of this book, maybe more than the wife. But, really? you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she do. <laughs> um, Phil's, <laughs> Phil's sister found the letters that Sarah wrote to Phil. She reads them all, which is terrible, and assures her Sibling. brother, you're better off without Sarah. <laughs> and so Phil goes, well, since you like to read and write, you want to come work for my company? And Phil's sister becomes the first employee of Blue Ribbon. It should be noted that at this time, running was a sport, not a hobby. People weren't seen early in the morning running down the street for their health. That would look crazy. So this was a different time. It was. And, and people were teasing them, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, keep stuff. that in track and feel. You look crazy. You just running down the street. Everyone can see you. Um, yeah, so I've heard this funny. before. But really? The shoe, it, yeah. The shoe industry really made running a hobby for the everyman. Wow. So another problem, Johnson, the new full time salesman, was neurotic and overenthusiastic. He took out ads on his own volition. He created his own customer management system. He was writing Phil letters daily and it became too much. Another problem. Blue Ribbon is growing too fast and the bank is getting nervous. There's no profit here. All the money you're making. Yeah, you're you're making your. Um, Improving your business 100 uh, percent, you know, in a short period of time, but you're not making any money and you constantly need more money. We want to drop you. And they have zero dollars in the bank. That's what I'm saying. This no profit and they're cash poor. Yes, yes you're right. That, yeah, that's, that's a important. Big deal. Rolex is a no profit, but they not cash poor. Phil was cash poor. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. So Phil, co-founder of Blue Ribbon, needed to get a job. He went back to accounting. There's a lesson here. Sometimes while pursuing your dreams, you got to work at what you know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just, you know. However, Borman was trying to make the product better in his spare time. So the, remember, that's the partner, um, Phil's old uh, running coach. Former coach. Mm -hmm. He spends his evenings and weekends trying to mix cement to make shoes <laughs> and polyurethane <laughs> and throwing stuff in a blender. And trying to make the best shoe possible. Also, Johnson, remember Johnson is the crazy, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. No. Johnson is the neurotic and overenthusiastic salesman. He now has customers in 37 states because that man is very excited about his job. Mm -hmm. However, that's way out of Blue Ribbon's jurisdiction. So is there going to be legal problems? Uh, spoiler, yes. Johnson's <laughs> wife leaves him and he almost died in a car accident. Then he built the first Soho house for runners. I mean, it's got ambiance. I can't, listen, y'all. Johnson is the salesman. Okay. He is putting in just as much effort into this business 
as uh, the co-founder. And then mm-hmm. at this point, he was really putting in more work than the uh, yeah, founder. Uh, yeah. Really putting in more work than the founder. He was making sketches, sending sketches in. He, and yes. he wanted feedback, wasn't getting it. He was doing everything to make this company grow. So being a founder of a successful company or head of a successful company does not mean you're the hardest worker, right? Nope. So Johnson is overworking himself and enjoying it and good for him. However, he did not have what it took to be the founder or head of the company. Phil Knight did. And there's probably a lesson there. Like Johnson's life now becomes the shoe company he works for. And there's something kind of sad in that, but that was his passion and he loved it. His wife leaves him. He's in a car accident. And then he builds like a meeting club for for runners. It's got candles. They can like <laughs> talk about running. No one asked him running to do clubs, this. Yeah. He was just mm-hmm. like, you know what runners need? Soho House. And he built it. So with Johnson's support, Phil Knight returns to Japan to negotiate another deal. He would become the sole distributor in America. It was a coup. Things are on the up and up for Blue Ribbon and they hire their fourth employee. Part three. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We ain't got that much left. Part (laughs) three. Who beat the Aztecs? That's borderline offensive. So Bowerman is sending notes to Japan. Y'all hear me? The the old running coach is sending notes to Japan about how they can make their shoes better. And he's right because he's he spends all this time um, in research and development. He is their R&D department and the new prototype they get from Japan looks like the future. It is an amazing shoe. Bowerman wants to name it the Aztec, an homage to the Olympics in Mexico City. However, Adidas threatens to sue Blue Ribbon Company because they already got a shoe don't nobody know about called the Aztec. So Bowerman goes because then Bowerman and Knight get very depressed. Bowerman says (laughs) to Knight, hey, who was the guy who beat the Aztecs? Phil says Cortez. Fine. Let's name it after him. Let's name it Cortez. That's huge to me because Nike's Cortez's, those are just legacy shoes did you have the book kari oh no why oh i just want to know were there pictures of these items in the book i really like to see that so oh you want to see some cortezes i I just want to see all (laughs) the um the first that were presented (laughs) oh well they look the same now as they did back there hold on (laughs) okay that ain't no problem that ain't no problem So here y'all are some Cortezes. Now these are my husbands. So they're like all finagled or whatever. But uh, yeah, these are the Cortezes. And this is really how they looked uh, back in the 60s. So they They haven't changed. Not really. If you Google like the first Cortezes, the concept is still the same. Okay. So. Interesting. Yeah. That's that. On that. So, yeah, they're um, legacy shoes. Like when uh, my husband wears these, he gets like five compliments in an hour. People are like, oh, I've never seen those Cortezes. People love them. Okay, They're ugly. Okay. Okay. So the arrogant German company Adidas was becoming the nemesis of Blue Ribbon Company, whether they knew it or not. So uh, Phil needs another job. (laughs) He becomes, do you remember Alexis? Um, a, A teacher. 
You know it. Mm -hmm. And one brilliant student is one of the most brilliant and beautiful women he's ever met. Her name is Penny. After getting to know each other and after she began working for Blue Ribbon, they got married. (laughs) They have a son and he's the most amazing thing Phil's ever seen. Hmm. 1970, a Christmas Day flight to Japan. So um, the corporation is going to renew the Blue Ribbon contract for three years, not five like Phil asked for, just three. And that's a little little, like ominous. Like why? Um, Phil's like, I can get more money from my bank if I have a longer guarantee. You know, you'll sell more shoes. It's a win win. And they're like, no. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> that is all. So no, 75, <laughs> they're like, Phil, listen, 75% of all American runners are now wearing tiger shoes. And Phil's like, yeah, I know. That's because I'm selling them. <laughs> they act like this just happened. So they they end up signing a deal. No lawyer is present representing Phil Knight and his company. Uh, the li- deliveries stopped including Cortez shoes because the Cortez is becoming really popular. So the Jap- Japanese company, before they ship their packages uh, to America, are fulfilling the need back home first. And so no Cortezes are making their way to the States. That's the problem. And then Some they shoes scraps and roll yeah. out. <laughs> Exactly. Some shoes are arriving in the wrong size. What's more, Blue Ribbon needs money fast for a large shipment. So a large shipment is basically at the dock. And frankly, Phil ain't got the money for it. The bank won't loan him more money. Phil turns to his former running rival. He's not interested in investing in this company. In the end, one of the employee's parents lends him $8,000 with the mother saying, if you can't trust the company your son works for, who can you trust? Oh, mama. Don't make her your financial advisor. (laughs) Sickening. (laughs) Then Knight gets an idea. The Bank of Tokyo. Um, This was a bank in Oregon and, and, you know, he walked in there. He was like, yeah, I got a shoe company. Here are my financial statements. I need credit. Can you introduce me to a trading company? As a last ditch effort, Phil Knight invites Kitami from Onitsuka. Now, Onitsuka is the Japanese corporation he's been dealing with. And I haven't said their name until now um, because it's difficult for me to pronounce. (laughs) And also because I could just say the Japanese corporation. Mm. Um, But it's going to start being important as uh, Phil Knight works with other corporations. So Kitami is like the third leader of the company that he's worked with personally, Katami's sticking like grits. He now is the man to go to when you want something from Onitsuka. So um, Knight is like, in order to get what I want from Onitsuka, let's invite Katami to the States and we'll ingratiate ourselves uh, to him and to his company again. Obviously, you know, they're not in love with us like they used to be. The loves run cold. Let's make it hot. So after one heated meeting, where the men were not seeing eye to eye, Onitsuka goes to the bathroom and Knight secretly steals files from, I'm sorry, Katami goes to the bathroom and um, Phil Knight steals files from Katami's briefcase. This is the honest man we've come to know and love. (laughs) (laughs) Those files confirm his worst fears. Onitsuka is looking to replace Blue Ribbon in America. After seven years, the Japanese corporation was clearly looking to drop lowly blue ribbon. Knight is hurt. 
still, he invites um, Katami over to his home. There's drinking, there's laughter, there's awkwardness. Before he leaves, Katami whispers something to Phil Knight. Sell us your company. (laughs) Phil couldn't believe it. A hostile takeover spills from Katami's mouth in a private moment. Knight's Bank finally drops him. They can't continue to support a profitless corporation with no cash to speak of. No cash. It was time for a two-step plan. Step one, scare off all the distributors Onitsuka has lined up to replace Blue Ribbon. Threaten lawsuits. We'll break your kneecaps. Whatever. (laughs) Step two, find a replacement for Onitsuka. He visits a factory in Guadalajara and they sign a contract for football shoes. It did break the spirit of the contract he already had with Onitsuka, but they had already broken his spirit by trying to take over his company. So he was like, fair is fair. He goes to his graphic designer intern and asks for a logo, something that invokes emotion. Two weeks later, she returns with a series of sketches. They're all check marks, fat check marks. A fat whoosh of air, a swoosh, if you will. <laughs> now they needed a new name for this new division. Johnson dreamed of a name. Remember that overproductive salesman? He saw a name in a dream. And what was it, Alexis? Nike. 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 Yes. Just like the temple goddess, the goddess of victory. Nike and the swoosh. The rest is history. The shoes out of Guadalajara, however, were terrible. They cracked. They fell apart. A bust. <laughs> People run right on out of them. The new factory was found in Japan. Ooh, next door to Onitsuka. They made shoes prototypes within hours and they looked good. Then they sent a package of shoes to him and Phil Knight named them all within an hour. He was like, these are the fat runners. These are the slow runners. <laughs> these are the uh, air love Ooh, flies. <laughs> <laughs> these are the pilgrim lions. These are the running so- it is. These are the <laughs> jump high if you can. These are, I mean, just yeah. random. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was like, I did good. So, <laughs> so meanwhile, Bowerman is making better soles for the entire shoe industry in his garage with chemicals and a waffle iron. He saw a waffle iron. He said, that gives me an idea. He mixed up some chemicals, um, definitely almost killed himself a few times, inhaling fumes, and he made souls. 1972, Nike would be introduced to the world from Chicago. Woo! (laughs) At a name-making shoe convention. It was a huge success. Nike, Nike. Who's this Nike? Onitsuka dropped Blue Ribbon immediately and demanded $17,000 for undelivered product. Mm. Before leaving their last meeting, Kitami turned and says to, to Onitsuka, we hate your guts. We never want to see you again. It's not personal. Also, Bowerman, can you stay on as a consultant? Because <laughs> you got good ideas. <laughs> we, our whole research and development team can't keep up with you. Bowerman says from this moment on, we are enemies. Sworn so no, enemies. Yeah, I won't be consultant for you. The Olympic track and field trials uh, begin. And Steve Prefontaine um, is the 
standout runner. Um, all of the men at Nike and it seems like a lot of people in the running world fall in love with Steve. He's an Oregon boy. He um, is just charismatic. Usually runners are introverts, but he's a star. He um, he had to finish one race with only one shoe because his opponent had perhaps accidentally um, stepped on his shoe. And it slid off. And so he continued the race, beating his own human foot to a nub, you know, Mm. and he won. And then he took a shirt and he waved it over his head. And in that moment, Phil Knight is like, this is what life is, sports, play. And this is what our company needs to be. They're not quite big enough to represent Steve, but Steve is on their mind. Um, also, uh, his sons was thriving. His one son or two sons. I don't know. This is a good time in Phil's life. Nike is growing. Life is great. But then tragedy came. In 1972, the Munich massacre occurred. And that's when a group of terrorists um, carried out during 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, West Germany, a disgusting, terrible act Um They were eight members of a Palestinian militia group um, named Black September. They infiltrated the Olympic Village, killed two members of the Israeli Olympic team immediately and took nine other hostages. Um, Spoiler, all the hostages ended up dead on the tarmac um, in a battle between the German police or the German law enforcement and these uh, militia members or these militant organization members. Anyway. Um, During the chaos, when these um, hostages were being taken, a few Israeli athletes were able to flee. One made his way to where Steve Prefontaine and Bowerman were staying because Bowerman's still a coach. Um, Bowerman picks up the phone and calls for the Marines to protect the perimeter. They came and they did. Bowerman was later reprimanded for what was seen as an overreaction. Mm. I didn't get this part. Yeah, that People was are crazy, dying. Right? Mm-hmm. What's the overreaction? And the Olympic um, Committee um, scolded him, right? No, like the government, the U.S. government was like, how dare oh. you call our Marines to I protect thought it was you. the Olympic Committee. Okay. So I think so. I mean, that would make maybe a little more sense. I don't think the Olympic Committee is in a position to scold anyone right now. People are upset. Mm. They send their children, their best over to what they thought was a protected Olympic uh, village. Yeah. It obviously was not protected enough. There are also some conspiracy theories about how this militia group, militant group got inside. It's really scary. Um Anyway, uh, Bowerman needed someone to defend himself in front of the board that was investigating what happened and who stepped up. Do you remember Mm. the man who beat Hitler? That is Jesse Owens. So Jesse Owens like, no, uh, no, no, no. And they were like, "Okay, Jesse. So so (laughs) they dropped the investigation. But Bowerman retired like this hit everybody really hard. Yeah. Um. Steve Prefontaine, who people call Pre, he sinks into a depression, um, which is understandable. And Blue Ribbon helps him through it. He becomes an employee at large, uh, meaning he gets a business card. And what's his job? To run fast. (laughs) (laughs) He wore Nikes and he ran fast. And Um, and this is like a time when really athletes weren't really making money. They 
It was like kind of part-time job. They they also had part-time jobs. So now I feel like Steve was also a teacher. He was yeah. maybe a bartender. I don't know. Yeah, he had they to do a had lot of, a lot stuff. of mm-hmm, other activity, other jobs they were um, mm-hmm. um, doing to keep themselves going financially mm-hmm. in life. Kind of like we saw with the basketball strike uh, when they was working at Home Depot. Y'all remember that? Ooh. Listen. So uh, now Blue Ribbon, though, is representing Pre. And here we are. The advancements are being made. But Nike loses money and the investors aren't happy. Like they got to pay a lot of people. Onitsuka files suit in Japan. And so Blue Ribbon must sue in the States. After a long legal battle, the judge actually uh, reduces the suit to an issue with copyrights and Blue Ribbon wins. Um, It does come up, though, that Phil Knight had sold those files out of uh, that businessman's briefcase when he went to the bathroom. So he knew about it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, the settlement was for 400000 of which Blue Ribbon kept half to buy more shoes. They hired the lawyer that represented them and he becomes the company's lawyer for Blue Ribbon slash Nike. Eventually, the company uh, that doesn't make a profit can't pay their debts. And so investors want to cash out and the FBI comes knocking. Hey, come Whoa. to jail. And so Phil Knight's like, am I going to go to jail? Me? (laughs) I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. He's also a man who will sit in a board meeting and hug himself and rock because he gets panic attacks. Okay, so this is a lot. He's not sleeping. The FBI is coming. When the government start coming from you, I mean, it's a wrap. Anything can happen to your life. He's like, what's going to happen to my wife and sons? They find secret factories, dishonest billing, yada, yada. Feels like I'm an, I'm an honest all-American boy. <laughs> what is the problem? <laughs> and, and he can't believe his country is doing this to him. He says this a couple times. Mm-hmm. So a Japanese financier, um, Ito, saves the day. Despite also having received late payments from Blue Ribbon. He's like, but I see the potential here. This is the Japanese financier. He's like, there's a future here. I'm not going to, you know, cut you off because you're not making me money and you pay me late. So he saves the day. He pays their debts. Um, Idiots, Ito says. People pay too much attention to numbers. Mm. I agree, Ito. Can I borrow $20? (laughs) So for the first time in days, Phil Knight laid his head on his pillow and slept. He needs inspiration, he thought. He wants to go see Pre run. But he gets a call in the middle of the night. Mm. Pre is dead. There's been a car accident. While mourning the death of their friend, the waffle trainer is taking off. A thought hits Phil Knight. Could people start wearing these shoes to like run errands and live their lives? (laughs) Will this be more than a shoe for athletes? First of all, I can't believe anybody was running in some Cortezes. Y'all must have had ankles made of steel. because <laughs> The way they made, just looking at what you just showed me, I'm like, that's no, no. not a running shoe. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Not what we consider a true athlete's shoe today. Right. Uh, but if you look at like Usain Ball or Michael Johnson, they have really thin shoes, right? It's more about, I don't know. Mm. We'll leave that there. But for the way hobbyists run or, or everyday runners run, no, you need some support. 
Phil Knight and his team eventually find a contact that promises to connect them with a new factory in Taiwan. They'll need a new name for the company, though, um, so as to throw off China if they're ever able to do business in China. So they go with the new name, Nike. Soon the quality of Nike shoes matches the dream of its creators. The Olympics were coming and there needed to be a Nike Olympic team. Nike dominated in the pre-Olympic trial. Nike's really killing Adidas. Phil heard someone say, or so he says. <laughs> then the Montreal Olympics of 1976. The favorite runner was to wear Nikes, but when he took off, he was wearing Tigers. That's right. The Sworn Enemy, an original company of Blue Ribbon, behind Blue Ribbon. Phil started drinking before the race was over. <laughs> he said, you know what? I'm no longer making Nikes. Nikes are making me. If it can have this kind of effect on my psyche, <laughs> this shoe has become my God. So anyway, what he decides to do is have butt face meetings. And butt face meetings were retreats for the um, for the Blue Ribbon Boys where they could relax um, create ideas, have ideas knocked down. Um, it made everyone vulnerable, but it also m- made them comrades in like th- what they saw as a war to beat the other shoe uh, co- corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when um, Phil Knight threw out an idea in front of the table at one of the butt face meetings and it was shot down, it was an invitation for everyone to throw out ideas and they would. And some of the ideas stuck. Um, The best ideas survived and the very best of those ideas rose to the top. And when you really get down to it, what Phil Knight was doing was creating a family, a trust out of his company. And we see this repeated in a lot of unicorn companies where they'll have retreats and everyone just shares ideas. Uh, Phil Knight was one of the first to do that successfully. Uh, Phil Knight's not um, hands on, but he's not hands off as a boss. This approach to management, though, also spilled into his role as father. One of his sons swore to never wear Nikes his entire life out of anger for the company that had stolen his father from him. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So a former aerospace engineer and partner arranged a meeting with Nike. They come up with a way to insert air bubbles into the soles of running shoes. Adidas had turned the idea down and that's all Phil Knight needed to hear. We're going to have bubbles in our shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. Not even the University of Oregon at the time was wearing Nikes. What? So the brand lobbied players and cut checks for coaches. It's the way it was done. Fair Fawcett wore Cortez's on Charlie's Angels and the shoe sold out. Counterfeit companies were making uh, Nikes better than Ooh, Nike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they do with a lot of brands. And so uh, he had to like buy out a factory in Korea because they was making shoes like his, but too good. Um, his cash flow was tight. There were problems. Um, they bring an advisor on board and he tells them the last thing they want to hear. Y'all got to go public or go under. They needed a competitive edge at this time also, a way to legitimize themselves in the eyes of the public and the feds. Apparel. They couldn't just be a shoe company. They had to be an everything company. So they had to start selling clothes. Also, uh, there was this collaboration with Jack Moose, who's a designer that I'm loving right now. Jack Moose and Nike. No one really talks about it. I thought it was pretty good. It was a few months ago. I just want to plug that there. Uh, But still... Nike is not doing great with lifestyle wear. You ever look at lifestyle brands for sportswear? No, not really. Okay. 
Moving on. <laughs> Adidas is still killing it with that, it seems. So anyway, um, they're going to venture into lifestyle apparel. But they wouldn't be able to take a step forward until they uh, resolve this big bureaucratic bill, $25 million to customs. They got a notice that because of some dealings in their past, they now owe the U.S. Customs Bureau $25 million. It was a shakedown. It was was a bill created in cooperation with the government by their competitors. And so it didn't seem fair. In the end, after a long legal battle that found them one call away from appealing to the president, they cut a check for $9 million. That's crazy. Yeah. They were later the first shoemaker in 24 years allowed to do business in China. Um, July 2005, LeBron James hands Phil Knight a Rolex from 1972, the year Nike was founded. Um, on the back is engraved, with thanks for taking a chance on me. Mm. Well, at the, it's funny because um, Phil's like, 1972, what, what's that year? Because to him, <laughs> you know, Blue Ribbon Company, all that, that started in the 60s. But he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're right. Nike was founded in 1972 and LeBron thoughtfully did that for him. So while at the movies watching Shrek 2, they see their son Travis standing in the aisle. He received a call from El Salvador. There was an accident. Their son Matthew drowned. Every athlete Nike represented call and wrote every single one. The first call came from Tiger Woods at around 7 a.m. And not a bad word can be spoken about Tiger and Phil Knight's presence to this day. This part made me cry. Um, But but it was um, this is now the end of the book. Phil talks about how uh, he alludes to wanting to have been a better father but he's also very proud he says he's so proud of what he created there's also some scandal about the working conditions in his factories and he's like these factories were worse than when we found them we elevated them um but because of all the blowback from the conditions he also improved things like making sure the air filtration systems didn't give the employees cancer he's like and we shared that with other companies my first thought was, why didn't you do that from the beginning? But uh, it wasn't seen as a need to him. Right. So. Or, or, right. Or it wasn't a problem. They didn't consider it a problem. You know, so many things were the norm back in the day. And they yes, didn't it see it as a problem until it became a problem. Yeah. Um, third world employees get cancer at your facilities. That's part of the job. <laughs> Wild. But anyway, in the end. Uh, We see Phil reflecting on his life, his triumphs, how he uh, donates a lot of money now, him and his wife, and how he's so proud to have lasted with his family. Um, And that's it. That's the shoe dog. Alexis, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What did you think of Shoe Dog by Phil Knight and would you recommend this book? So with memoirs, you know, I I don't like to say anything bad about them because it's that person's life. It's their story. How can I? That's how you present it. But I did think it was interesting, the amount of privilege that existed in this book. And and it just I couldn't help but think about um, people who don't have that level of privilege to get out and um, get the backing for their ideas. But the book is quite interesting. 
um, and his tale, his adventure, how he um, traveled. Um, again, that's not a bad idea. Travel, get out there, <laughs> see the world, um, and then find what it is that you'd like to do. But um, I did enjoy the story and um, the how hard he worked to achieve his dream. Um, he is a different kind of manager, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, not the encouraging a building type. This guy, Johnson, and I appreciate that he credited him because Johnson is like a reason this company went as far as it did in the mm-hmm. early stages. He is, he's right up there with Bowerman. He was such a contributor mm-hmm. to putting him on the map in so many places. He, there, there's just no... um way you can ignore that piece of the story. So I'm glad he didn't um, flower that or try to shake it down like it didn't mean anything because it was a very huge contribution to the company's success. Um, and I I'd, um, I just had liked hearing how, um, what word did you use about Johnson? Neurotic, and, overenthusiastic. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was overenthusiastic, <laughs> but it was perceived by Phil to be over enthusiastic. You writing your boss a letter each day with sketches and charts. That's over enthusiastic. You need to calm down. <laughs> oh, he appreciates <laughs> the job. The company was nothing. And um Johnson really helped with that. So I really like the story of this little dog becoming a big dog and the strength. And I really like the title Shoe Dog. I learned what that was. I didn't know. So I did learn some things. I would definitely recommend this um book. As a good read, it does have some areas of strong language. So I caution you on that, but um, I would recommend it and I did enjoy it. How about you, Kari? Would you recommend this book? What's your final verdict? I would say, um, and thank you for sharing your thoughts. I agree with you uh, that it's very enlightening in a lot of ways, but I would say uh, proceed with caution. If you're reading this book as a lesson on how to start a successful business today, this was a different time. These tactics do not hold today Um, with the advancement of the Internet, our worldwide connection, uh, the way we communicate globally now. Things are different. Uh, So I don't think unless you want to read about how failures are part of success, Mm. uh, that is really going to help you that much to start a business today. I don't know. Also, when we talk about the privilege in this book, it's not just from the father. When when a blue ribbon or Nike at the time receives a bill from the U.S. Customs, they have a connection in Congress. Uh, They speak with a senator who seriously is one phone call away from the president. They they want to get the top people in their country involved. And I'm not blaming anyone for this type of privilege. There's nothing to blame anyone for. What I'm saying is that look how far your dreams can go when you have access to the tools you need. Absolutely. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, in Phil's case, I also don't think he doesn't recognize his privilege. He talks about how his father's position put mm-hmm. him in the best position yep. to reach his goals. Um, so I love that. I also thought... I mean, this book isn't very naked either. It's not Phil talking about in detail his faults and I don't need it to be. Um, But just know he is so proud of this company. And it's not even to me, it doesn't read as Phil Knight's memoir. It reads as Nike's memoir. Like if the company itself could write a memoir, this is what it would look like. And maybe Phil Knight and Nike are the same. (laughs) 
So there's that that fills me with a little bit of sadness. Like this is this is the sum of your life. But this is a great thing um, to a lot of people. And it's helped create uh, careers for a lot of people um, and supported a lot of people all over the world and made advancements in the ways factories are managed, the way safety is um, seen and the standard that has to be met. So there's good that comes from it. Right. Um, But in the end, it's a company. And uh, I don't know if the end made me a little sad. And a lot of that probably has to do with him losing one of his sons and that son also probably never getting what he needed out of the relationship with his father. And then Phil openly admitting he never got what he needed from the relationship with his father. But that's just fathers and sons. Poor. I mean, yeah, that's just I don't know. Even on his dying bed, his dad, I think, was like, take care of this guy I'm coaching. He's like a son to me Mm. and and Phil's actually his son. So I don't know. (laughs) Um, But his dad was incredibly proud of him. He Mm -hmm. always wanted that approval from his father. There are some lessons here. I just finished the book (laughs) like a couple hours ago. And this is definitely something I have to sit with and think about um, because it's filled me with some emotions that aren't uh, directly tied to its subject matter. Just about fighting for your goals, but really taking a look at what those goals mean to you and why, and are they worth it? So yeah, would I recommend it? I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. I can't think of anyone I would recommend this book to. I also enjoyed reading it and I enjoy Phil Phil sharing his story. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. But now what do I do with this information? I'm not yet sure. So I would say right now today, I would not recommend it. But if you wanted to read Shoe Dog, I would say, oh, I read that. (laughs) 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 And I enjoyed it when I read it. That's all I got for you. All right. Well, Curry, what are we reading next week? Girl, why you ask me this every week? So, Am I supposed to know? Absolutely. I mean, you did post the schedule, so <laughs> I should be trying to do stuff. Here we go. Oh, I know. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ne- <laughs> Next week we are reading Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. A little unknown classic. Go. We dug through the crates <laughs> and pulled this one out. well thank you for listening to lit society we look forward to meeting up with you next week thursday lit society is brought to you by alexis honoria and kari herrera support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on apple Podcasts as well as spotify and leave a comment about why you absolutely love us because we love you too if you've enjoyed what you just heard tell a friend about lit society visit litsocietypod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter and until next time read something read something